Welcome back, everyone. We're excited to have you here for another episode of the Rehumanize podcast. I'm Emiliano. I am Herb. And our guest today is going to be Kristen Turner. Uh, she is the executive director of Pro-Life San Francisco, the founder of Take Feminism Back, and a board member of Sunrise Reading. Um, this episode, we're going to be talking about the intersection of environmentalism and the consistent life ethic movement. Kristen, I think, is a really good kind of encapsulation of that intersection uh, as uh, a as a pro-life leader, um, but also uh, someone who is actively involved in the Sunrise Movement, which uh, if you've been paying attention to the news really over the past uh, year or two, uh, you've probably seen make headlines um, as both uh, as an environmental activist organization that has been um, mobilizing young people to uh, take on climate change through direct action as well as legislative campaigns. They were active during the um, presidential campaign to bring up environmentalism as an issue and climate change um, and have since been mobilizing uh, nationwide to keep the Biden administration accountable, not only to their own promises that the Biden administration has made on environmental issues, uh, but also pushing them to go further than their environmental uh, policies. Um, so I'm really excited to have this conversation um herb do you have any thoughts yeah i'm excited to have Kristen on uh i think that this issue of climate change slash environmentalism etc all those issues are uh often people ask me where the consistent life ethic fits into that movement um and that issue and it's a little tricky sometimes because you know the the rehumanized definition of the consistent life ethic pretty much adheres only to opposing aggressive violence against human beings. Um, and so abortion, death penalty, war, et cetera. Um, however, we also know that, you know, the, the consistent life ethic ideology isn't just about opposing things. It's also about trying to build positive things and build a culture of life. And that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, but certainly wherever you fall on the political spectrum, you likely agree that we should have a planet that is inhabitable. Um, it's somewhere that, that we can live because if we cannot live there, we cannot flourish there. And so I think that uh, environmentalism and climate issues um, are a very interesting piece of the consistent life ethic um, movement because it's not necessarily one of the core issues like it's not like if you if you don't recycle that's not the same as killing someone but there are really important issues involved in um environmentalism that do directly affect the life issues um particularly the one that i always talk about is war and particularly the u.s military's uh influence on climate change um, as one of the primary drivers um, one of the you know the they use some of the most oil of anyone they're the largest one of the third largest polluter of u.s waterways um, things like that and so you know it's not necessarily the same as actively killing someone but it does get into this culture of life that we are trying to build in a more positive sense and so I think that 
talking about this is really important. And I am excited to invite Kristen on to chat about some of these issues and more. And I think this is a really good opportunity as well to not just, uh, you know, examine consistent life ethic issues through the lens of environmentalism, but also the other way around, because I think one of the major criticisms of the environmental movement up until pretty recent years has been that it's, you know, uh, this kind of, I don't know, elitist, like Sierra Club, like coastal liberal uh, issue that, you know, like your average working stiff, you know, just is like, well, I'm just trying to get by. Like, I don't care about, I don't know, the rainforest or whatever. Um, And I think looking at it through the lens of the consistent life ethic about how climate change is actually seriously harming human life here and now um, is a very important take to have. Um, And I think that's one of the, one of the benefits that the sunrise movement um, and really kind of more recent environmental activism. And if you look further back in time, like indigenous environmental activism has been saying this for, you know, decades that no, this is not like a a pet project of save the turtles. It's like, this is affecting human lives right here and right now. And it's devastating communities. It's devastating families. um, And it's leading to like direct death and immiseration of people. Certainly. Yeah, there, I have so many things I want to say to add to that, but I think we should just wait until Kristen is actually here so that she can share her thoughts um, and we can talk more about these issues. Yeah, I think um, uh, we're going to get into it a lot in the discussion, too. All right. With that said, I guess we will just cut now and welcome Kristen when she is here. So we are excited to uh, present to everyone Kristen Turner from uh, Pro-Life San Francisco, uh, from the uh, Take Feminism Back, and also from Sunrise Reading, California. Kristen, welcome on. Hi, thanks. It's great to be here. So uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, yourself and how you got to this place where you're wearing these three hats as a as a pro-life organizer, a consistent life ethic um, organizer and feminist, and also um, an organizer in a pretty substantial environmental movement in the country. Yeah. So the story of how I became part of the pro-life movement is kind of a long one, so I'll try to shorten it. Um, basically, growing up, I always loved being involved in social issues and things that were really important. From the time I became politically aware and socially aware, I was a feminist. I was a progressive. And in that, I was super pro-choice. And, you know, I'd argue with people at high school all the time. I'd constantly get in arguments with my classmates in the middle of class, just passionate about the issue. And um, it's actually an interesting turn of events that made me reconsider my position and I talked about this extensively on my Take Feminism Back platform, but basically what happened is um, I was going to this high school and in my sophomore and junior year, I ended up being in a really bad situation where I was being sexually abused by a teacher. And um, at the time, I didn't really think anything of it. I, you know, I thought, you know, I'm just cool. I'm way more mature than everyone. Like, this is okay. And, um, It wasn't until like, you know, the school found out that I was like, wait, this wasn't okay. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a kid. 
it's not okay what he's doing to me and making me think that like I'm quote unquote special. And, um, I ended up having my first pregnancy scare as a 16 year old who the person who had been with them just went to prison. And I was, you know, I was really scared and I was pro-choice at the time. And I was like, you know, maybe I will have to get an abortion, but I, I wasn't sure. And I think it was in that moment that I was really reconsidering my views because instead of people being supportive of me and being like, I'm sorry, what happened to you? What he did was wrong. All of my friends basically abandoned me. The teachers weren't supportive, stuff like that. So I just felt like alone and I felt like nobody could see me and I didn't really have a voice. And at that point, I kind of related to unborn people where I had been like, you know, I, nobody really hears me or sees me, but I do have value and I'm important and it's not okay to, you know, violate my rights. So, um, I graduated high school early because like I said, it was really hard with everybody not being supportive and stuff like that. And, you know, people would intentionally go out of their way to like make fun of what had happened to me. So I decided, you know, I'm going to harness the situation. I'm going to graduate early. And that's what I did. I graduated, um, in like December, it was right before winter break of my senior year. And I had this gap time between high school and college where I thought, you know, I'm going to start reconsidering these issues. And I started staying at home and watching videos about, you know, the pro-life movement and stuff. And I had really reconsidered my position because of the moments that I had had with a pregnancy scare and, you know, just being re-educated on the fact that an unborn person is a human being. And it, it really made me start to reconsider my beliefs. So then when I had gone to college next semester, I was in classes with a lot of people who were pro-choice and they, they really tell a lot of really bad stuff about pro-lifers and it kind of put, made it off-putting for me to want to relate to them, even though I still kind of considered myself pro-choice. And it got to the point, this was around the time of like all the abortion bans happening in 2019, where it was really stressful for me because I wanted to say something about being pro-life, but I didn't know anything really. I didn't know the apologetics and I didn't want them to think, you know, I hate women or I hate people who can get pregnant and stuff like that. So I kind of stayed quiet until the end of the semester when I had done more research. And then I ended up confronting my classmates in the middle of class and being like, actually, there's a lot of pro-lifers who do really care about people who get pregnant and are in crisis situations like we don't want to send everybody to jail who gets an abortion we don't hate people who've had abortions and I think it kind of made them reconsider their beliefs too so at that point I was like you know I think this pro-life thing is really important and I should dedicate more time to it which I ended up doing I would go online every single day and talk with people and really strengthen my understanding of the arguments that people make to defend people in the womb and I ended up coincidentally reaching out to the Students for Life's national page. And I was like, oh, I don't really know what to do about like this argument. Like I need help or something. And they were like, oh, you should start a Students for Life group. So I was like, this is so cool. Like they want me to start a Students for Life group. So I got in contact with my regional coordinator in Northern California who helped me start a group. And it was really fun. I got to connect with the pregnancy resource centers in my area, which is a valuable resource. And I did that for a while and then COVID happened, obviously. So at that point I was like, we're not doing outreach on campus and I wanna do more for the pro-life movement. And I also was consistent life ethics. So I wanted to do more about all these other issues that were really pressing to me. And so I randomly in the back of a Red Robin that I worked at started this page called Take Feminism Back. And I was just 
I was really emboldened by all of the activism that was happening last summer and just by my own journey in the pro-life movement. And so I really wanted to harness that. And originally I just started it as a platform where I could personally speak about my experiences, but over time I found some really great people who shared the same values as me and they wanted to help me out. So I have a couple girls on my team, Allie, Hannah, Neve. they're all really awesome. And we started creating content, but we were like, oh, we really want to do more for people in crisis pregnancies. So we started doing fundraisers for people. And the first woman was a girl from out of the country, which is something that usually falls out of the scope of other pro-life organizations, which is one of the reasons we really wanted to do it. And um, she had been kicked out of her house because she had an unplanned pregnancy and she wasn't married. And we helped her in any way that we could. She gave birth to her child and now she has her own apartment and is going to college. And we really helped to set her on that path of stability where now she can sustain herself. And it's not just the fact that we helped her, you know, we empowered her to be a mother, but we also are great friends with her now. She's a really sweet girl and we're just really happy to be able to have helped her. And after that, I just, it's the best feeling to be able to help someone in that situation. So I just wanted to expand that work to other issues that I really care about, like um, issues of race disparity or climate activism or animal rights, which I'm really passionate about. So I got a message from one of my vocal instructors because I was going to college at the time, like I said, and he wanted to start a chapter of Sunrise. And so I was like, yes, I'm totally passionate about the issue of climate activism. I think it's one of the most pressing issues, especially as it relates to low-income people and people in the womb. So I said yes, and I really wanted to take a lead on that. And I helped a lot with the social media and coordinating events and things like that. Um, we did some really great events, like we did a big park cleanup. We did um, all sorts of educational events, just teaching the community about climate activism. And... Um, I'm not super active in that anymore because I did move to San Francisco, but I'm currently trying to get involved in the San Francisco sunrise. So that's kind of the story. And in terms of pro-life San Francisco, through my take feminism back work is how I found it. I was making designs online to sell because we wanted to do fundraisers, like I said, for people who were pregnant. And I had made this sticker series called the pro-life feminist series and I made some of my favorite, you know, the people I really looked up to. So it was Destiny De La Rosa, it was Sherilyn Holloway, and Teresa Bukovinak. And so Teresa reposted my sticker that I made of her for our fundraisers, and I thought that was super cool. And from there, she started keeping an eye out on what I was doing, sharing my content from Take Feminism Back. And she invited me to some in-person activism opportunities where we did the West Coast Walk for Life. We did a Hyde rally. We protested Nancy Pelosi's office because of the Hyde Amendment. And I remember as a joke, I was getting off of a bus of pro-lifers after the West Coast Walk, and she's like, hey, everyone, meet the new executive director of Pro-Life San Francisco. And I thought it was funny at the time because I was planning on moving to Boston and doing uh, classical voice performance as my studies. And, you know, I was like, haha, whatever. And then she texted me like the next week and she's like, I was serious. <laughs> and at first I was like, I don't know, should I do it? And my boyfriend, who's also consistent life ethic, he really was supportive and was like, you should totally do it. Like, this is clearly your passion. And so I decided to come here and I moved three and a half hours. It's my first time having my own place and it's been crazy so far. Well, 
That's awesome. That's a, a whirlwind of a whirlwind of a journey. Um, and uh, thanks for thanks for sharing that with us. Um, no problem. And so the the topic of this episode is on environmental justice and uh, climate change and how we should be concerned about climate changes as consistent life ethic people. Um, one of the things that I had uh, said in the intro was that one of the one of, I guess, like the misconceptions of the environmental movement in general is that it's kind of like kind of well-to-do people worried about, you know, the rainforest or the turtles or uh, stuff like that. Um, and that lots of times it's uh, it's painted as something that's out of touch with like the the everyday realities of working uh, and poor people. Um, and I think one of the mm-hmm. things that the Sunrise Movement has done really, really well is connect the environmental movement um, to just kind of general movements of social justice. And I think um, Herb had already, already discussed about how lots of times in the consistent life ethic movement, um, we really focus on issues of uh, direct violence towards human beings. Um, and lots of times we don't conceive of um, the environmental movement or climate change in that way. Um, but we know now, like uh, there was just a report that came out about uh, 800 people died in the heat wave um, that hit the Northwest. Um, so what for you yeah. is kind of the intersection between um, climate change activism and and the uh, consistent life ethic movement? I would say that climate activism is a social justice issue. The main thing that a lot of people, the main reason a lot of people think that it's about, you know, save the turtles, don't use a plastic straw is because that is in large, a corporate market tactic that big businesses use to shift the responsibility of taking care of our planet onto individuals instead of changing their business practices. As we know, 70% of all the emissions in the United States come from 100 companies and in the world, I mean. So we have all these huge companies emitting the vast majority of emissions. And then what they try to do is say, you know, don't use a plastic straw to save the planet. And of course, we should take individual action. But what's important is that these companies are creating these things that we're using that are detrimental to the environment. So if they didn't produce plastic straws in the first place, or if they didn't produce plastic everything or things that couldn't biodegrade for thousands of years, then people wouldn't use them in the first place. And there are environmentally friendly options that they can produce and choose not to because of profits. And what we're going to start seeing in the next couple of years is a huge amount of climate refugees who are displaced because of rising oceans, heat waves, all sorts of environmental disasters that are going to start happening because of the way that we're treating our planet. And this really intersects with with a consistent life ethic because it is a life and death issue. Like every single person on this planet should care about the planet, not just for themselves, but, you know, because it is life and death for a lot of people who are low income and don't have the option to move their homes or don't have air conditioning or heating or don't have access to lots of things like that that would protect them from the new environment that we're seeing. You know, I am also an animal rights activist and that does intersect with the climate justice movement. And interestingly enough, I think that the climate movement intersects with the pro-life movement heavily. Um, Most people would say that, you know, the 
the movement for climate justice is heavily tied to the pro-choice movement because we see a lot of people who say we're overpopulated. We don't need more people. They're just emitting, you know, all sorts of stuff that's horrible for the planet. But what they don't realize is that it's not the individual people's job to feel guilty for existing because these corporations are pumping out stuff that's destructive to our planet. What we need to understand is we need to create a planet where our children can exist and thrive instead of, you know, getting rid of the children in the first place. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think for me, I, I've gone to like a couple of climate marches, but compared to the other issues that I organize around, it's certainly not my, uh, my main sort of area of activism, uh, though I am, you know, concerned about climate justice. Um, but I, I have found that I have been pretty turned off by a lot of, you know, environmentalist activists um, for that very reason, the the overpopulation myth that gets pushed um, and turns into more of, a, you know, an eco-fascist sort of ideology than what I think should be a life-affirming, life-sustaining ideology of, you know, creating a just system where people can be born and, you know, people aren't viewed as necessarily burdens or just, um, you know, people who are using resources. Um, because as mm -hmm. you said, it, it's individual, you know, like you should recycle if you have, if you have the ability to and, um, try not to, you know, consume the most if possible. Uh, but ultimately it is a structural issue. Um, and that's why, you know, the organizing that um, has really been popping up lately uh, from people like you and some of the people I've seen you work with focuses more on those structural issues to say, hey, no, it's not just less people. It's making a system that everyone can thrive in. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of those anti-natalist or eco-fascist views can actually come from the misconception that human beings aren't a part of our natural ecosystem. Because human beings are part of the environment. We did at one time live sustainably with the planet. And what we need to understand is we can have an industrialized society while at the same time being sustainable. We just have to use this great knowledge that we have about our environment and what the scientists have taught us and harness that to make sure that humans are in harmony with our ecosystem as we once were instead of just, you know, eradicating humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's super important. Yeah, I think that that this point that we're talking about the um, the, you know, people are not the problem mentality is why it's so important for pro-life people to be involved in the the climate justice movement mm -hmm. um, because you know I don't want a young person who is deeply concerned about this issue as you know many of them are to get involved and hear that antinatalist argument and think that's what it means to you know support environmentalism or um, any of the things that they, they would like to support because it's ultimately not and it doesn't need to be and it shouldn't be. Yeah. I think another like uh, something that I've heard so many millennials and um, people in my generation say and, and Gen Z people as well is that just like we're not going to have kids. Like so not only is like our we potentially losing out, you know, on uh, people through abortion, just uh, people are so turned off at the idea of 
of one there's the anti-natalist argument that like oh people are actively bad but just like that the the fear of the dis- disasters that climate change are going to bring um of not being able to realistically raise children uh or realistically raise children in in a habitable planet like that is also like a, a weight that is weighing particularly on our generation and the generation younger than us i think in a way that has not been experienced before in human history yeah i think i've i've heard that as um an an argument that i've seen people actually use to justify legal abortion that um, sort of the typical, you know, I don't want to bring children into this violent, unstable, et cetera, world that has always existed to advocate for eugenics and abortion. But um, particularly with the bent of, well, there are rising tides, there are more natural disasters as a result of climate change. And so, you know, if you're a, if you're a pro-life person and want less abortions, fix climate change so that uh, we have one less argument to to have to fight against the pro-abortion side. Yeah, I think it is sad because, of course, people should plan on whether or not they want to have kids, and that's fine before the kid exists, obviously. But I think it's sad because it, it does reflect a legitimate fear about what's happening. And it's almost ironic in a way because the people who are the most passionate and want to see these issues solved are not having kids. And a lot of us know that ideologies pass on through families. And, you know, they're it's just the people who care about it. They're not going to have children to teach who care about it as well, which it's like, yeah, if you don't want kids, that's okay. But it is a little bit sad in that regard. So, um, I want to talk about the, like the sunrise movement a little bit then. Um, so, uh, can you tell us about a little bit about, uh, what the sunrise movement is and, uh, also, how how it's been for you as someone who's actively pro-life also working in the sunrise movement given the kind of tensions that we've uh discussed uh the kind of backdrop of antinatalism that uh exists in a lot of environmental spaces um and uh, uh if there's any pushback against So first of all, the Sunrise Movement is a youth-led climate activist organization. So anybody working within it who is taking a position, it's 35 and under in terms of age because we think that, or at least the Sunrise Movement tries to emphasize and amplify the voices of young people who are going to be most affected by the climate crisis. The Sunrise Movement is pushing hard to get a Green New Deal and to get actual substantive climate action happening without excuses or quote-unquote partisanship that really just stops the current of new laws that will protect us. And to preface, the people that I work with are really great. Most of them are my friends because we decided to start it together. Um, It has brought up interesting conversations about my views about abortion because um, most of the people in Sunrise are pro-choice. I do know some people in Sunrise who are pro-life, at least in the work in the group that I'm in. And it has brought up interesting conversations with people that I'm there with. And I think it's important to I think what's interesting is that people who are so radically for climate action are more leftist than they are classical liberals. And in my experience, they tend to be more open-minded to listening to stuff about that, even if it does seem like something that is more right-wing. So I don't consider the pro-life issue a right-wing issue. I do consider it a progressive position to be pro-life. 
But when talking with other people, you know, I've posted stuff online and they follow me just because they're from the Sunrise group. And then they'll be like, oh, this is interesting. I, I haven't thought of this perspective. You know, how do you think the pro-life movement relates to the climate action movement? And I just... I'm able to have those conversations in ways that they wouldn't be able to with maybe somebody who's conservative and pro-life or somebody who doesn't necessarily have a passion for taking action against climate change. Yeah. And I think, I think there's, uh, uh, some really interesting spaces, some potential, um, for, you know, even if, even if we're going to be working with, um, pro-choice people who disagree with us on abortion generally, I think there is, now more of a, more of a discussion on um like the environmental aspects of reproductive justice generally mm-hmm. um about things like like women having miscarriages because of uh, like fracking water um or uh pollution and how that like stunts the growth of children how that increases um like stillborn stillbirths um and I really, I think like the, the work of um, black and brown um, environmental activists uh, on the right to have children and the right to have children safely mm-hmm. um, is, I, you know, we're going to still disagree probably on the issue of abortion in general, but I think could lead to some interesting um, opportunities for um, cooperation Um on, on at least some issues. And, and that's, that's something that, you know, actually is, you know, uh, historically has been discussed even within the feminist movement. I remember, uh, Betty Friedan, um, had criticized, uh, the kind of liberal feminist movement for being so kind of unilaterally focused on abortion that it wouldn't work with pro-life people on, uh, other issues of, of, child welfare and maternal welfare. Um, so that might be something that we can revive and build towards. Yeah, that would be great. And I think what's important is that pro-life people and pro-choice people come to a mutualistic understanding that we both believe in reproductive justice. We just have different definitions of that. I do believe in reproductive justice. I just don't believe that abortion is part of that. I think that reproductive justice means you get to choose whether or not you create a child. And once you've created that child, obviously they should be safe from harm. But additionally, you should have the right to safely and comfortably reproduce if you choose to do so. And I think that if pro-choice and pro-life people could just understand that about each other, that it could be a really great partnership because this is one of those issues that's so divisive that if somebody is taking a position, they're clearly passionate about it. So if we could get activists like that to work together, I think we can make real change on both the climate action front and the front of, you know, uh, welfare for pregnant people and their children. Uh, it's well, it's about time to wrap up, I think. Um, Kristen, thank you so much for for being here and um, abiding through the technical difficulties. Um, I think it's super important to have people like you uh, in the movement um, and in both of these movements that I care a lot about. Um, I look forward to seeing uh, all the stuff that uh, Pro-Life San Francisco does um, and also seeing how the Sunrise movement uh, is able to uh, exact some grassroots pressure on our legislative process that is just basically controlled by fossil fuel companies and lobbyists. 
So I, I really appreciate your work and thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you so much. It was really great to be here. Yeah, Kristen, before we let you go, uh, plug your, your social media, any projects you got going on. Tell us where to tell us what links to put in the description. Awesome. You can follow Take Feminism Back on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, pretty much everywhere. TikTok, follow our TikTok because we've got some good stuff on there. Um, and then for Prolife San Francisco, we have some really important things happening right now. This week, we're going to be at the live action activist training, but I don't know when this podcast is going to come out. So um, I don't know if you want to put that in there. But on July 21st and 22nd, we are calling into the UC Board of Regents at 8.30 a.m. on either day. And we're telling them that we want to see an end to aborted fetal tissue research at UCSF. And we want them to take responsibility and accountability for their... the. We want to see them be responsible for the fact that they've been complicit in this unethical research for so long. And we do this every other month where we call into their board meeting and we tell them, you know, stop aborted fetal tissue research. And usually we have a couple people, but this month we have gotten like a hundred emails from people saying that they want to help because Live Action wrote an article about it. So if you want to see more, please go to prolifesf.com slash events. Our latest event on there has all the details. It has example speeches that you can use. It's just going to be a one minute comment over the phone. It's super quick. And it would really, really help if people could do that because I really feel like this issue of aborted fetal tissue research is coming to a head and we need everybody passionate. We need everybody talking about this issue right now because it's very important. Great. I agree. And then also you can follow Pro-Life San Francisco at Pro-Life SF on Instagram, Twitter. We also have Facebook that's Pro-Life San Francisco. And yeah, I think that's it. You can follow Sunrise Reading on Instagram or on Facebook. It's um, just Sunrise Reading is the tag. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kristen. Cool. It was great to be here. Thank you. Okay, that was the Rehumanized Podcast. I don't know how to end these. Um, that was Kristen Turner. Good episode. Uh, do you know how I found out who she was to to invite her on? No, <laughs> how? I, I, I was just like on Twitter, you know, at like 2 a.m. being sad on Twitter as usual and uh, saw that she retweeted something that I then also retweeted and then clicked on her. And I was like, oh, my God, she's in the Sunrise Movement. And also, uh, pro-life San Francisco director. Yes, like this is the person that we need to talk to. And then, of course, you already knew her, so I didn't feel special anymore. But I felt <laughs> yeah, like, you were like, you know, should seconds. we have this girl? I just found Kristen Turner, and I was like, yeah, here's her email address. I know her. <laughs> yeah, um, I know her because I was on a uh, an online event that Take Feminism Back held a couple months ago about the Hyde Amendment. Um, pro Hyde Amendment, obviously. Go support the Hyde Amendment. It is in, in threat right now. Um, yeah, so I've been following Kristen's work for a little while, but she's like new in the movement, um, or relatively new, and has already been making so many waves. So I'm excited that we got her on our podcast before she was too famous to say no. <laughs> well, that was a great a great conversation. I'm glad that uh, we got her on. And stay tuned for August's edition of the Rehumanized podcast. This has been uh, Emiliano. 
and also Herb. And see you next time.